find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. And today, I have got Veronica Monet with me. She is a relationship specialist, a sexologist, and an empathy expert. I like that. I, I don't know what that is, so we're going to find that out today. <laughs> she, um, her perspective on sex, anger, and relationships will challenge your old beliefs, provide you with insights uniquely helpful to your personal life. She's a highly visible spokesperson for sexual rights and has appeared on every major network as well as CNN, Fox, CNBC, WE, A&E, international television programs. So, Veronica, you're, just, you're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've had, I've had a couple of decades to be everywhere. So. Well, you know, and, and, and the more places you are, the more you can get the word out. So that's awesome. <laughs> so it, it's great to have you with me today. And you want to just kind of tell tell the listeners a little bit about how you got into a relationship specialty. That's that's um, kind of an unusual niche for a lot of people I talk to. So how in the world did you get into it? Yeah, you know, I, I think it really it started um, probably at the dinner table with my parents. I, I just they my parents had a very dysfunctional, abusive relationship, and they fought constantly. And sometimes those fights actually became physical altercations. And I. It was horrible. It was just horrible, and I felt so powerless, and, and I, I'd listen to what she had to say, and I'd listen to what he had to say, and, and I think um, it was so obvious to me that they weren't listening to each other at all, and um, that was really sad for me because I loved both of them, and I think, I think this, this early desire kind of took root in my soul, like, wow, I would really, I wish I could talk. I wish I had a voice, and um, you know, that wasn't the hierarchical arrangement of this dysfunctional family I grew up in. I, children were supposed to be seen and not heard. So nobody was asking me for my opinion, and I'm sure I wouldn't have really been able to express it all that well at that age anyway. But um, it was obvious to me that there were valid concerns um, on both sides. It was obvious to me that both people felt hurt and unheard and unseen. And um, it, it created an ache in my heart and I think I, I grew up then, you know, entered into my own relationships like we all do um, and found that I was just duplicating a lot of the patterns that I had seen my parents do. So I didn't really know how to um, be in a partnership. I knew how to either dominate or submit because that was the only paradigm going on in my family of origin. You know, there was somebody in charge, somebody really being aggressive and maybe even cruel, or there was somebody that was being kind of frightened and, and giving up their space and acquiescing. And, um, and I saw that those roles actually could, uh, they could swap all the time. It wasn't like there was just one person who was doing one role. Sometimes it kind of seemed that way. But um, this, this whole dysfunctional dynamic actually um, really creates um, a game where each of us can kind of plug into that. Um, right. So one moment you might be a perpetrator, another moment you might be a victim. And um, 
that's I think that's really where the impetus for this began. And as far as where the expertise takes over, I mean, you can you can hate something and wish you could do something about it, but how do you learn how to do anything positive about it? That really um, came from my commitment to find solutions to my own relationship issues. And in the process of doing that, um, I started weaving together a lot of other resources that I'd tapped into and synthesizing a few of my own hard-won um, truths, you know, things that worked for me in my relationships. And that's how I ended up birthing my five steps to exquisite partnership. And that kind of takes us to today. <laughs> That's, that's the abbreviated story. <laughs> that's the abbreviated story. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people that grew up in households and families much like mine. Mine was when I was a kid. And there's it kind of surprised me because it, it taught me what I didn't want to do in relationships and things that I wanted to figure out how to overcome and do, do better. And then the other half, and it seems to be about half, seem to just assume that's how it has to be and they just kind of settle in the same rut and, and are unwilling to see that they can make changes and do things in a different way. Actually, um, I, I'd like to, if I can, I'd like to add a third possibility sure. there. Um, I actually don't think it's either or. I think these things in life are either or. We kind of live in this polarized um, paradigm where you know there's good, there's bad, there's right, there's wrong. And um, I don't really live in that world. I think that it tends to be that people either ascribe to what they're taught or they react against it. So um, people will move away from something. Let's say they didn't like the fact that their parents were so strict, so then they raised their children uh, permissively. Or they don't like the fact that their parents didn't give them any guidelines, so then they become kind of strict, controlling parents. But to really be able to chart your own path that isn't based on avoidance or reaction um, or, or conformity is, is revolutionary. That actually requires going in and doing some deep work so that you're no longer feeling frightened or resentful or reactive towards the things that happened to you in your childhood. And that's a very rare quality. There's very, very few people who take that path because it takes a lot of work to go in and cry, cry those tears and and work through all those blocks so that you can get to a point where you actually are able to start learning new behaviors that have nothing to do with trying to be different from your parents. That is true. Well, that's, that's something I mention a lot of times is it, it's not easy because, <clears throat> you know, sometimes you, you kind of talk about it and, and you get into a conversation with somebody else that completely understands what you're talking about and, and it may come across like, oh, this is a piece of cake, just snap your fingers, it's going to happen. And it's like, no, <clears throat> you know, you've got to be ready to, you've got to be ready to make a change and you've got to be open to understanding that there's a lot of work and it's probably going to really tick off some people you're really close to, unfortunately. But um, definitely, definitely worth the work as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. That's every, every, anytime you change, I, I think even if you change your, your energy, in the universe. You change your energy in the universe. Maybe you are deciding that you're going to start that business you always wanted to start. You're going to take up a new hobby or a new sport. You're going to just change your outlook on life or adopt a new spiritual practice. I think that when you make major changes and shifts energetically, 
it's not just the people next to you. The people next to you are definitely going to react because they got used to a certain um, collection of responses. They're expecting you to behave a certain way. Uh, that gives them a sense of security and safety. And when you change, they might feel frightened and insecure and wonder what else is going to change. Exactly. But yeah, I, I think there's even some energetic ripples that reach out to people that we don't know. Um, and and I, I sometimes think maybe it's because the behavior is new to us, the energy is new to us, and we haven't learned how to, to navigate it confidently. But um, you can get negative feedback from people you don't even know who seem yeah. bent upon trying to prevent you from making those beautiful uh, strides forward in your um, your journey. So Very true. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it, it's so worth the effort, but you've got to be committed to make it happen. Well, you do, and you've got to let go of other people's expectations, whether whether it's you know fa- close family members or total strangers. You just have to let go of other people's judgments and expectations and stay true to what you know, and that's actually the definition of a leader. So you, you stop caring what they think. You get out there in front. You do what you know is the right thing for you. And then, you know, before you know it, there will be some other people asking you how you did it. Well, and, and you know what's really cool is, is when people see, notice, and recognize the change in you. You know, whether it's, it's that you're happier, whether you seem more at peace, whether you're more productive, whatever it is, it's awesome when people start to notice that something's changed. They they probably aren't going to have any clue what it is, but once they start to see that something's changing, especially when you're changing in a positive way, you know, it's so wonderful for people to recognize that. It's like, hey, I'm doing something right, <laughs> or this is working for me. Well, and you're, you're not only doing something right for yourself, but you're helping the world because everybody's looking for a reason to hope. Everybody's looking for a positive path of, because we all have difficulties we all experience setbacks, and it's easy to get disillusioned and frightened and wonder if there's a way out. And when you see somebody else has found a way out, that's very inspiring. Um, so taking that role, you know, going ahead and, and bucking the status quo and moving against your own um, you know, force of gravity, which kind of keeps us um, in a the same place and actually kind of starts to calcify us and uh, allowing yourself to to grow and to move and to stretch. Um, I think that's not just a gift to you and the people close to you. It's a gift to everybody in your orbit. It can be. Well, and we like to be around positive people, not negative people, you know. So it's always always nice when we can can be more positive and other people around us can be and yeah, but, yeah. but just, a, just a warning to your listeners. Um, when you become a positive person, and you're, you're going you're gonna to just be like a magnet. You're going to pull in all kinds of people who want what you have, people who have already have what you have and are just so glad you finally showed up. And, and then there's going to be um, some people who want what you have but have no clue how to go about doing it. So uh, you might actually be... Um, caught off balance by their presence. So to be prepared for that, I always tell my clients, if you're going to change the way you behave in your relationship, you're going to have more conflict in the relationship because your partner is going to be frightened. Say, what are you doing? This is not what you say. When I say this, you say that. That's how it's always been. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
Now you're Every, saying something else. What does that mean? <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely does. Well, I've I've got a a program about learning to love, accept, and respect yourself, and that's something I mention in there frequently. Is that you know you're you're probably going to get feedback that you're not expecting from people close to you because you're you're not the same person you were. You know, especially as you start to see changes and and pe- people like familiar. They like what they're familiar with, whether it's good or bad. They seem to like it. So, but yes. um, so yeah, change yeah. change is good. It's not easy, but it's good. It's it's, well, it's essential. It, if we're not changing and growing, then we are deteriorating and dying. So we've got to choose that path even though it's uncomfortable at times because, you know, I mean, it's maybe the easiest thing in the world is just lay on the couch and watch a TV show and munch on your favorite junk food. But um, we all know we're that late. So we have to to find what we've got inside ourselves to, to go out there and exercise, even if it means just taking a walk. And it's the same thing with relationships. It's it's easy to avoid a hot topic like, oh, every time I have that conversation, we get into a disagreement. We never agree. So I'll just avoid it because I want to get along. And, um, you know, we all do that from time to time. And some of us do it more than others. But it's, it's really important to not do that. It's really important to have the courage to say, hey, I, I noticed that we're avoiding this topic. Would you like to set up a time when we could actually dive into it as partners, not as adversaries, as partners? What does that mean? That means that you're really available and open to listen to the other person's feelings, not ready and available to be convinced that they're right, um, but rather to, to share in their emotional journey around this topic and, and also ask them to be available for your emotions so that... And, you know, I tell couples, when you're at home, there are no facts. There's just feelings. So, and what I mean by that, um, you know, sure, you may have a fact that the electricity bill needs to be paid, and if it's not, they're going to turn the electricity off. I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to carry that to ridiculous lengths. But most of the arguments that couples get into really don't have anything to do with the thing they're arguing about. And it has everything to do with you don't listen to me and you don't care what I think and you don't respect me. That's and that's, 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 that's what needs to happen is to feel heard, to feel respected and loved and valued. Very true. And talk about, I talk about communication on here a lot. So I, all for encouraging uh, positive, effective, honest communication with one another. Well, you, and you can't be partners if you don't listen to each other and take each other's thoughts and, and feelings into consideration. You just, you've got to do that. Well, a lot of people think that they are. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know I feel statements and I'll, I'll listen um, and validate uh, her or his feelings. And, and yet in practice, um, they don't end up doing that. <laughs> so, and I'll, I'll tell you what, the, big, the biggest problem that I see is that people are in a rush. They're in a rush to get this problem solved. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I hear you. That doesn't work for you, so let's do this instead. And that's actually not showing up for your partner's feelings. They want to have their feelings heard. They want to have their feelings understood and valued. And it it might be a story you've heard a million times, and you might be tired of hearing it. But if you can slow down, take several breaths, show up and realize that um, this person's actually bringing you their most vulnerable 
um, self. Oftentimes, they're not much more than about four years old emotionally. And, and that's not um, any kind of uh, an insult to the person. I, this is for all of us. We bring this really vulnerable inner child to our intimate relationships. And that inner child may need to tell their story 20, 30, 50 times. Um, they may not feel heard yet. So being able to show up for that is a beautiful gift. And it's part of what gives you access to your partner on such an intimate, vulnerable level. Very true. Very true. Well, and it, it takes so much for us to make ourselves that vulnerable to somebody. Well, for most of us. <laughs> it can be oh, hard yeah. Well, I think, yeah, because our our experience too too often has been that we kind of go out on that limb and and start to share something and we get cut off or somebody says they understand us but they completely misinterpret what we said Um, or or they just take the conversation somewhere else and kind of ignore the feeling content. It's like, oh, okay, so I get that you don't want to go out tonight. Fine, we don't have to go out tonight. (laughs) It's like, you know... um, or, or don't worry about it, we'll just do it your way. Yeah. Giving, giving your partner what you think they want just so you can get out of a quote-unquote argument is, is perhaps one of the most insulting um, intimacy-killing things you can do. Yeah, I, uh, I, I yeah. had a boyfriend like that years ago, and uh, actually he wanted to get married, and he was one of those, whatever you want, whatever you want, wouldn't make a decision about anything. And I'm like, okay, I can't live this way. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I live this way. And he ended up marrying somebody that wanted to make all the decisions. Those weren't that beautiful for him. But, yeah, I, I just like, no, don't just roll over and say, okay, just, you know. Uh, have an a lot of young boys are actually taught to do that by their fathers. Yeah. It's so sad, but it, it's kind of part of, um, of a, a popular male paradigm for some cultures. I think the Western American culture in particular, just whatever your mother says, agree with her. (laughs) So so this this little boy is learning that when a woman says something, it's like, oh, she's just being emotional and just tell her she's right and tell her you're sorry. And that's, I think that's why a lot of times, um, more often than the other way, when the marriage is over, uh, the woman is the one who's discontent and files, and the man's like, "What? I thought we were happy." <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not actually uh, got his finger on the pulse of the relationship. He's not paying right. attention to her because he was told that she's going to get emotional and just disregard it. And um, that that is oh, it's just such a painful, painful thing that fathers have passed on to their sons in a lot of cases. Um, it, it really sets the, the, the marriage or the relation, long-term relationship up for failure. Well, what, what is it? Um, happy wife, happy life, you know? And, and people, you know, making, making your partner happy is one thing, but that's not the way to make a person lastingly happy, you know? Oh, I hate, I hate that. I, 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 so, so at the same time that I think it's just horrible that young men are taught oftentimes to kind of um, uh, ignore what the women in their lives say and do because they're emotional creatures and it doesn't matter anyway. Um, right. And I, You know, I wish I could tell you that that was an old-fashioned thing that just pertained to people who grew up in the 60s and 70s, but it's not. 
I have clients in their 20s, and it's still going on today, and it's really sad. But um, the the other thing that happens with the training that we that we give um, boys a lot of times is that we negate their feelings, so they're not allowed to have emotions and feelings either. So I mean, happy wife, happy life. What about the man's desires? Where where does he get where does he get to say this is what I want, this is what I need? If you're in a pattern of just agreeing with her all the time and giving her what she wants so she'll be happy, then you're not showing up as a partner. And it, I think that could even be one of the things that accounts for the um, higher suicide rate and higher incidence of chronic um, uh, degenerative disease in men. And, the, and, you know, it's like we're not taking good care of our men in the, right. in the way that we conduct our relationships either. Very true. Both both persons' feelings need to be considered, and both people need to express what their feelings are. So, very true. So, what do you think has been the hardest part of the work that you do? Well, believe it or not, I have, I looked at a survey recently, and most um, coaches, uh, mm-hmm. relation, relationship coaches, <laughs> do not like working with couples. Um, which astounded me because I love working with couples. <laughs> and um, so when, when they're having a breakdown and they're crying and they're screaming and, and you know, have a, I'm okay with that. I'm here, I'm here to show up for that and really help them walk through it. And it doesn't frighten me. Oh, maybe sometimes. It just depends on how bad it is. But, but for the most part. Um, I'm not frightened. I'm certainly not put off by it, and I don't judge it at all. I'm, I'm grateful that they're showing up with their feelings, so we can get to a functional, positive way of expressing anger. And you know, I set boundaries. I'm not. I'm not going to allow any name calling, um, or um, you know, violence or anything like that. Uh, and I ask people not to slam their door on their way out either. And I have had to sometimes tell people you need to take a time out and remove yourself because you're getting out of hand. But um, so the hardest part is not all of that, even though it's an outside observer would probably go, wow, that looks hard. Um, to me, not so much. What, what's hard is when people show up dead. <laughs> They're right. just sitting there and it's like, okay, well, you know, what happened last week? Oh, nothing. Everything was great. Uh, okay, that's wonderful, but, you know, this is a session. You're paying me a lot of money for it. Would you like me to help you with something? Yeah, I, I can't think of anything that actually came up this week. So then I have to, like, start poking and prodding around and go, well, I remember we talked about, you know, this type of communication style, and, and last week you expressed a little frustration around this, and then I go, oh, yeah, I forgot. We had a huge fight, and <laughs> didn't talk to each other for 24 hours. I totally forgot that. That's difficult because I have to be... Um, a detective, and uh, and I'm good at it. I'm good at pulling stuff out of people, even when they don't want me to. But that can be a little bit, a little bit um, hard because um, I really want people to show up fully engaged. I want them to maximize their time with me, and um, I want them to be fully invested in change. And they they need to be acquainted with the problems that they're having. If they go, you know, have kind of amnesia about it and forget right. about it as soon as it happens, then they're not really showing up for their life. And, and that, that's sad for me because the energy is built depressed a lot of times and they don't even know it. They don't know that they're, they're uh, forgetting and getting depressed and uh, trying to wake people up who are 
um, half dead or totally asleep, kind of sleepwalking through life, I think that's the hardest thing. Very, I was actually just talking to uh, a friend about that a little while ago, and, and you know, it's it's so tough, especially when it's, it's somebody that, that you know really well and, and watching them just, just give up any any kind of control or any any individuality in their life and just kind of saying, well, I have to make so-and-so happy and I have to make this person happy and I'm just going to go along. It, it's just hard, so hard to see that, and, and especially yeah. in a relationship where, where you're trying to, to bring out the best in each other and, and the person is just kind of not participating. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what's the most, got to, got to keep it positive, what's the most rewarding thing about your work? Oh, God. I think the most rewarding thing is um, when they come in angry and they leave um, kissing and hugging each other. <laughs> and and, uh, it's, uh, and it's also really validating for me when I um, hear that after just one or two sessions, they might have been maybe in a 20-year relationship and the sex has been horrible for the last 10 of those 20 years. And they come in for one session, and then um, they they come back for their second session and go, oh, my God, we just made love for the first time in 10 years, and it was more beautiful than it's ever been in our entire time together. That, to me, is really rewarding and exciting. <laughs> Very good. That is awesome. So... What do you think, and I love to ask people this, what do you think is the primary reason why so many relationships don't succeed? Why, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Why so many relationships don't what? Yeah, what do, you, what do you think is the primary reason why so many relationships don't succeed? Oh, yeah, right, like 50% of them fail. Um, and the other 50% probably uh, are staying together but not happily so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, i got to tell you, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Dr. John Gottman. He does uh, research on uh, marriage, and um, he brought together um, a whole bunch of couples with different levels of satisfaction in their relationship, and he was thought, well, if I study the way they argue, maybe I'll figure out what determines whether the marriage is going to last or not. So this was obviously a longitudinal study or he would not have been able to figure out which ones lasted. But he actually brought them in and and studied the way they interacted with each other. And to his surprise, it actually didn't matter how they fought. They all argued. And they all argued different ways. And he couldn't find any consistent formula for the type of arguing that translated to uh, long-term relationship success. What he did discover was that the marriages that were going to last, the ones that lasted, expressed appreciation for each other five times as often as they expressed a criticism. Oh, that's good. Okay. So that's a really powerful tool that I teach my clients. I ask them, not only do I want them to appreciate each other to each other's face, um, you know, like, to take time every day to say five things you appreciate about your partner to every one criticism that you feel you need to share. I, I go further than that and say, look, let's, if you're going to sit down and have a conversation about something that's not working in the relationship, start it off with appreciating five things about the relationship and about your partner. 
that will contextualize the problem so that neither one of you thinks that the problem is the end of the relationship. Um, and it will make both of you far more amenable to finding solutions because you're going to keep remembering these five beautiful things that you, you value so much. So it's, it's a beautiful way to actually do problem solving. The other thing, um, to do those five appreciations in your head. So let's say your partner said or did something you're not quite ready to talk to them about, and it's, you know, it's kind of burning and stinging in the pit of your gut, and, and you're maybe finding yourself getting angry. It's really a beautiful spiritual practice um, to ask yourself to reiterate at least five things that you love and appreciate about your partner in that moment in your own head, just between you and you. Because what that is, 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 is cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Right. And the things that we are grateful for multiply. The things that we're grateful for come back to us uh, in spades. So if, if you are grateful for the beautiful aspects of your connection, you're going to help that become even more accentuated, more prominent in the relationship just by appreciating it. And... Um, it's such an important mindset for life in general. If you're grateful, you're going to have um, much better health and much, um, it'll increase your happiness and, and you'll probably even live longer. So um, appreciation, gratitude. Really, um, show that appreciation and let your partner know that you appreciate them. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's ways to do that that really fill your partner's heart with a lot of uh, joy and there's ways to do it that can be a little off-putting. So you don't want it to um, be like you're just praising them, like you're trying to give them encouragement. Uh, in other words, you, you want to root out anything that comes across as parental or patronizing. Yeah, um, your appreciation should come from a place of just pure joy. I, you know, and it should be just as fresh as, as it was 20 years ago. If, if you're in a long-term relationship, which presumably most of us are hoping for at some point in our lives, you want to be able to tap into that joy that you felt 10, 20 years ago and um, evoke it today. Um, you know, and all you've got to do is go back and remember, how did I feel when I first met this person? What was it like when I was falling in love with them? And um, and tap back into that, and and really allow that to to rejuvenate and infuse you with a you know excitement. And then when you share that appreciation with your partner, they feel how authentic it is. They feel how alive it is, and um, it will help them come to you know to remember the things they appreciate about you. That's true. I was. I was talking to somebody, um, and, and he was complaining about um, his father's wife and saying that, you know, he didn't show enough appreciation for him. And, and I knew his, about his, him and his wife in his first marriage more. And I said, well, you know, did, did he show appreciation for, you know, for her? And, and he's like, well, I, well I, and I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, if you're going to complain about not having enough appreciation, you it, both both partners need to show appreciation for each other. It's not just one. You know, men need it and women need it, and they need it from their partners. So, but yeah, he, he 
didn't even want to hear it. Did not even want to hear it. Well, hmm. not, but you know, need to show appreciation. But, um, Absolutely, both partners need lots of that, and our children need it, and so do our pets. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, and you know, our our pets are going to get it one way or the other. They're kind of insistent sometimes, so just well, they can't be, can't they? <laughs> yes, 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 definitely. It's like, don't forget I'm here. <laughs> so, and they don't even need words. Oh, gracious. Okay, so so tell us about the five steps to an exquisite partnership. Oh, I would love to tell you about uh, that. What you <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I um, I this came out of. These five steps of exquisite partnership are something that I developed over 20 years of trial and error. <laughs> and and it's, it's something that is the, the cornerstone, the heartbeat of my own life, my own relationship. And I am living in an exquisite partnership. So um, it's not theory. It's, it's something that I've proven works for me. And, you know, it could have been just something that worked for me and my partner. But I've actually been able to translate this to fabulous results for my clients as well. So I'm really excited about it. And, you know, just like how would we apply these five steps to exquisite partnership? Let's, let's talk about a conflict. Let's say um, your partner maybe has a particular idea for how they want to spend the holidays or they have a particular um, desire for how you guys are going to raise your child. I mean, some of these things can be pretty um, emotionally charged terrain. And that, this is when you want to apply this. It may, you know, if it's a simple thing, like do you want to, you know, eat out or stay in and cook, um, maybe you don't need to use this. Hopefully not, but you know, for some couples, even something like that might be charged if the relationship's really deteriorated. But for some of us, I mean, there's certain very simple decisions that we're going to make as partners. It doesn't require a lot of conversation. And then there's other areas where as soon as you hear what your partner wants to do, maybe your gut churns. You're like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> or... Um, not this again. Whenever you start to feel some negativity come in, or oh my God, I wish I don't want to. I, what do I, I don't want to hurt his feelings, but I don't know what to say or do. I don't. I don't really want to do this. That's when you want to. You want to go back to this. This particular model is for those times. So the first thing to do is to validate. And what I mean by validation is that you really want to tell your partner how much. Um, you understand what they are bringing to you. Now, it might be difficult. You may not really understand. So this is where you get to stretch. You get to try to put yourself in their shoes and see life through their eyes. And why is this important to them? So let's, let's say um, he wants to go to his mother's for Christmas and you absolutely can't stand that. Um, the first thing that you could do to validate that is to say, I could totally see why you would want to spend time with your mother. Um, you know, I, I know she really looks forward to us coming, and I know that you're real close to her, and you guys love each other. And so it makes perfect sense to me that you'd want to do that. So this is a real stretch. It really is stretching. 
because the first impulse might be that you'd want to say something like, you always go there and you know we have a horrible time and your mother's a nag and um, frankly, I think the fact that you always want to go there shows a lack of courage on your part. Why don't you just tell her no? So, so you see, the, the thing that we're wanting to do is to not go into that. There's no way that saying that sort of thing is going to play out in a positive way for either one of you. And the first, well, and furthermore, it's going to set you up to, to be focusing on the negative instead of positive. And there is a positive in this. Your partner uh, really values uh, his parent. And that's actually a really positive thing. Even if it has negative attributes attached to it, it's still a positive thing. So if you can see the gray in things, and, and that's really what this calls on us to do is look for the gray so we're not so polarized, we're not looking for the black and white, right or wrong scenario, but we're looking at, okay, my truth is just as valid, um, and I do see the negative side of this. But let's look at the positive side of it, and let's validate that. I want my partner to feel like I'm truly present, and I get him or her. The next thing that you want to do is appreciate. So step one is validate. Step two is appreciate. When we go to appreciate, we want to really thank our partner for having a plan, for inviting us to participate, for wanting our participation. What a wonderful thing that is. What a beautiful thing it is to be invited and included and desired that they want us to participate in whatever their thing is that they're wanting to do. So um, even if it was, I mean, sticking to our example, it's like, okay, I, I hear you really want me to be a part of your family. You really want to share the holidays with me. Maybe that's the thing you could focus on that would feel uplifting for you. Like, I'm so glad you are thinking about how we could spend the holidays. Thank you for putting time into thinking about that. Thank you for making plans for us. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that you are um, engaged and involved and interested Think about it. What's the flip side of that? A partner who doesn't care, who forgets all the holidays, and, and I was actually married to that person. Um, <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> talk about it, I'm going to make all, you know, it's like I have to plan everything and maybe he'll show up. So you could count your blessings, and that's the thing that you want to appreciate. So we're going to focus on the stuff we're happy about. Um, it's even nice for your partner to realize the plans don't just fall into place. You have to put effort into making things happen, you know, especially if you want to get people together at a certain time and make things happen and, and all that. Because some people seem to not grasp that it just doesn't happen spontaneously. <laughs> so there's a lot of effort. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, especially if it's always been done for them. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they may, may not have any idea. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. And, and like they, they can't really appreciate the work and effort that goes into it if they think there is no work and effort that goes into it. You know? so it's, exactly. It's, 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 it's take the lead and, and figure it out sometimes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It reminds me of a, a, a personal story. I, I did um, get a divorce in 2004 and after being married for 15 years. And... Um, and my, my husband and I, we had a very interesting divorce. We dated for a short time after our divorce, and, and then we just turned it into kind of a little platonic friendship. But um, it was um, 
the marriage was falling apart largely because he had um, relapsed around alcohol. But there was this moment. In our, during our marriage, he was sober, and um, that's why I filed for divorce, because he decided he didn't want to be sober anymore, and I just couldn't you know, travel with him down that road. But um, he had always come into my office and asked me, what are you doing? And I go, well, I'm paying bills. And he goes, still? <laughs> I think I go, yes, it's kind of a lengthy process. We have quite a few of them. I'm sorry I'm not getting it done soon enough for you. And then um, he had never paid a bill in his life, okay? And when, when we divorced, he was um, well into his 50s. And um, he was older than I was. And uh, I feel so funny because I um, got a phone call from him. And PG&E had turned his electricity off. <laughs> for the first time in his adult life, he actually had to pay his own electric bill. And he called up and he said, wow, I had no idea that it took so much effort to pay bills. <laughs> he says, thank you for doing that all those years. <laughs> yeah, of course, that was back. I mean, 2004, I'm not sure that um, we were all paying our bills online, which is much faster. But um, at, the, at the time, I think it's very possible that in 2004, we're still using stamps for some of our bills. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yes. So to appreciate, so he was appreciating with me right there in that moment after our divorce. I thought it was awesome. I still carry that <laughs> with me, actually. <laughs> So if we can, I, I want to make sure your listeners, before our time is up, I want to make sure they hear these five steps. So the first one is to validate. The second one is to appreciate. Third is to assert. Now, this is a no with your walls down. Okay, and what I mean by that is an assertion is not aggression. It's not acquiescence. And it's also not erecting a wall, like you know, putting up this uh, do not trespass sign. An assertion is a boundary. Um, boundaries create safety, they create clarity, and they're actually an invitation to participate and to partner. So you want to be able to deliver that no without any walls, without any barriers. It's a boundary, not a barrier. There's a difference. Um, there are places where there are boundaries between the states, and all you've got is a simple little sign that says you're now entering Virginia. Um, and that's all that it is. Um, you know, it's a line on a map and uh, certainly a, a lot of different zoning laws, but it's, there's no wall, no wall between the states. Uh, so we have free commerce and we travel back and forth between the states freely. And that's what I mean. We have a boundary. I am asserting that I'm not available. Let's go back to Christmas at your mom's. Um, I'm not available to have Christmas at your mom's this year. Um, I've looked into my heart and it doesn't work for me. Uh, maybe next year, but this year I need a break. Okay, that's a real firm no. And it's got to be followed almost immediately by something called a redirect. So that's step four. Step four is redirect. So you're going to make your assertion, but very quickly you want to offer an alternative scenario. Oh, so the redirect is offering something that you do want to do. So it might be something such as, 
I don't want, so the assertion would be, I, I'm not available to go to your mom's this year. The redirect could look like, but I could be happy to go see her next year. Or your redirect could look like, but I have been dying to go to Maui with you for Christmas, and I'm just wondering if there's any chance I could, that you might want to join me in Maui for a romantic Christmas. And so you're, you're bringing your enthusiasm and your excitement and um, really making your partner feel loved and appreciated and desired. And so, so I redirected from mom's house to Maui, and the thing that's essential is that I'm prepared for my partner to say no to my redirect. Wow, I, need to, I need to be in a place where I am excited and my walls are down and my no is firm and I'm also available to hear a no. And I can hear a no graciously and lovingly. I don't need to be reactive. I don't need to go into this place of uh, feeling that there's only so many yeses in the world. Um, or that if I say no and he says no, that's it. We won't be able to figure this out. I need to be able to hold this in a place of if he says no and I've said no, there will be another solution. And that's where step five comes in. Step five is the invitation. This is where we invite our partner into a full partnership. And we go into this with the knowing that if I get my way, my partner loses. If my partner gets his way, I lose. And I'm not about win-lose here. I am, neither am I about compromise. Compromise and settling is about lose-lose. Okay, I don't really want to do that, and you don't really want to do that, but we'll agree to it because it looks like a compromise. I'm talking about a win-win here, and I just think that we all have a little more brain power and creativity than we give ourselves credit for. And if we can get past those triggers and the fear, we all have enormous fear that we're not going to get our needs met. If we can get past that fear and really show up for each other as full partners, we can invite each other into, let's find a solution that we both love. Not like, not tolerate, love. Let's find the solution that we both love. And sometimes after going through the five steps where you validate, you appreciate, you assert, you redirect, and then you invite, the invitation is going to look something like this. How about we set up a time when we can get together and explore our options and find the one that we both love? And the reason that I suggest that the couples I work with ended up you know, putting that off to a second meeting, if you will, is because um, sometimes we're tired at that point. It's, it's kind of emotionally draining to try these new patterns. And so you want to give yourself a little break. And then when you come back, you're going to have more creativity, more optimism, and um, instead of it being something, you know, where you're kind of going into it with a lot of fear or uh, trepidation, you go into it with a lot of excitement and um, enthusiasm for the fact that when you're in partnership, you get to be more than you could ever be all by yourself. And that is the point, isn't it? That's why we end up wanting to have partners, is so that we can be more. It should be. Well, the thing is, it, it, you know, if you came into it with one thing in mind, it doesn't hurt to just kind of get away and think, you know, and, and start letting your mind think about other possibilities. So, it's true. I, you know, in your sleep, in the shower, while you're driving the car, wonderful ideas can come up. 
They do. <laughs> and it's then in like three o'clock in the morning I get the best ideas, you know. <laughs> yeah, but your heart's gotta be open. You can't be in a place of resentment or fear. And exactly. and that's that's what these first four steps to the five step process are really designed to do is to keep everybody's hearts open. And it, it can take five steps to make that happen for some people sometimes. So. <laughs> well, actually, I think that it takes those steps for everybody. Um, I've, I've had so many couples come in and try to do shortcuts and try to skip a step, and it just it doesn't go well. Uh, somebody ends up compromising or kind of going along to get along, and that's, right. that's okay um, if you're not looking to have an intimate relationship with somebody. That's okay if um, you're not looking to have a long-term relationship with somebody. Now, those kind of quick fixes probably will do just fine for the short term. But what happens is those quick fixes pile up on each other, and over the years, it starts uh, creating a dead zone emotionally where the couples are no longer connected and their sex life suffers. That's true. Okay, now we talked about um, giving the audience an exercise that they can do after the show. Well, this one actually pertains to their sex life. (laughs) So, unlike the exquisite steps to partnership, which I did uh, develop, um, the the exercise I'm going to leave your uh, listeners with is not one that I invented at all. It was invented in the 70s by Masters and Johnson. They were a couple of sex researchers who discovered that sometimes when sex got old and boring, that the best thing that a couple could do, and when I say the sex is old and boring, I'm talking about couples in their 20s as well as couples in their 80s. It doesn't matter what age you're at. For some people, the sex gets old and boring just six months into the relationship. And um, it's sometimes associated with the fact that we're getting into some ruts, some routines. So Sensate Focus asks us to stop doing what we do and go back to doing what we did. So you're going to go back to being teenagers, basically, um, you know, if in fact you had this experience, not all teenagers did, but of um, kissing for long, extended periods of time. Uh, fondling for long periods of time, dry humping for long periods of time. So the rules to sensate focus are there's no uh, genital contact in the beginning. And actually, there's usually no nudity in the beginning. And you gradually add one thing over time. So again, we are talking about slowing things down. And you're going to hear this over and over again in any of the work that I promote which is that we need to slow down and stop trying to rush. Uh, You can't get to a fulfilling, a deeply fulfilling orgasm if you're in a rush. And you need to set aside time for lovemaking. You know, it's kind of appalling, but a lot of people don't take more than about a half an hour. And I I personally think that sex ought to last three to five hours. But I'm not, I'm not asking you to do three to five hours. <laughs> That's my personal life. What um, I am asking my clients to do is to set aside at least an hour, maybe an hour or two, depending on how committed they are into really expanding their ability to express and receive and give pleasure. So if you focus on things like the kiss, 
then you're going to be spending some time gazing into each other's eyes. And people skip this part because they have unresolved emotional issues and they don't want to look at each other. So, so that's one reason I work the emotional end of things to try to help people's sex life. But um, if you're able to gaze into each other's eyes and to stroke each other gently, to play with each other's hair, to kiss each other's neck, to um, kiss each other's lips softly or hard, long or short, to, to allow yourselves to laugh, to play, to really explore the energy between the two of you, to align your heart chakras, to breathe each other's breath. This can be really, really intoxicating. And since you're not allowing yourself to touch each other's genitals to begin with, uh, it builds a tremendous amount of tension, a lot of anticipation, enormous desire. And too often people are in such a rush to get to that orgasm that they bypass desire altogether. So, and this is especially important in a woman's body, but it's, it's equally important for men. Um, yes, a man can probably achieve an erection and an ejaculation uh, much, much quicker than a woman can. That's just kind of a physiological factor. But as far as really enjoying that orgasm, uh, I think men need a lot more foreplay than they're getting, too. Um, in my experience, the lack of foreplay that men uh, receive can sometimes really water down their orgasmic experience. And oftentimes I hear men even complain that they wish they had the orgasmic response that their female partner does. And uh, the fact is, they do. They just yeah. really need to have that kind of foreplay. <laughs> That's true. Well, and, and it's really entertaining, and, and there's certain things that I just like to, to say to, to clients. You know, when you're looking them in the face, just notice the reaction, you know. And that's yeah. like when you tell men that, that they can have an orgasm without ejaculating, they're like, no, I can't. It's like, yeah, actually you can. You know? Yes. But, but both, they, both, they men, both men and women. And, and men can have internal orgasms if they massage their prostate. I mean, it's this, there's really no uh, sensual pleasure available to a woman that isn't available to man, even though the, the plumbing looks different. It all started with the same uh, tissue in the womb. And um, we're wired very similarly. Both male and female nipples are wired directly to the genitals. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I have found, you know, depending on how her suit a man is, a lot of body hair, um, you may have to stimulate his skin a little different than you would with, with somebody who had less body hair. But... Um, other than that, it's really just a learning curve. It's about opening up to that sensation and not being afraid of it. That's it. Well, and the same thing isn't going to work every single time, and it's boring if you do the same thing every single time. So shake it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for people being creative and, and it's like watching their face when, when it's like, you know, laugh with your partner. And they look at you straight and I'm like, didn't say laugh at your partner, so laugh with your partner. You know, make it enjoyable for both of you. But, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see more humor. There's, you know, if you take the uh, sacred sexual journey far enough, you will start to uh, contact each other's inner children and you really will reach this place of beautiful innocence where there is a lot of childlike laughter. And it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And, and one of the things that I think we need to keep in mind is that our first 
sexual experiences, probably our very first orgasms took place while we were still in utero. That means we were still in our mother's womb. And we have scientific um, data supporting that now, that babies in the mother's womb are actually masturbating to the point of orgasm and falling asleep. Now, I'm not saying that they ejaculate. I'm saying orgasm. So we need to separate those two and realize they are two separate events. But both male and female um, fetuses have been documented masturbating, uh, orgasming, and going to sleep. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful thing. So if, if we realize that our sexuality is that innocent, and that is maybe a, a level of innocence and spontaneity and um, humor that we can get back to. There you go. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we are out of time. Do you want to go ahead and, and give your website? I love your website, Nate. So oh, thank you. Thank you. This, this has been a delightful interview. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. And I would love, love, love for your listeners to go over and get their free gifts. I've got a couple of free gifts. Um, two reports on how to stop fighting and love your relationship more than ever, and also a guide to uh, healing uh, shame. And um, you can sign up for both of those over at theshamefreezone.com. So that's the word, theshamefreezone.com. That's it. And she sends a newsletter out, and you should definitely get it. I, I've been getting it for quite a while now, and, and she shares lots of interesting things. But I, I love the idea of shame-free. That's something we oh. thoroughly need when, when it pertains to relationships and sexuality. So. Oh, yes, we sure do. so. <laughs> So, listeners, uh, I will have uh, Veronica's website links and additional information on my website. Uh, just go to lovecoachjourney.com slash shamefree. And, listeners, I'll see you next time on Ready for Love Radio. Ready for Love Radio.